This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Eight minutes after two o'clock, Central Africa time. Good afternoon, my friends. Welcome to the final hour of today's installment of Power Lunch here in Power 98.7. Now we're talking. Standing in for Madame Babi Muloy. We are together for the next, uh, what, 51 odd minutes. It's a family affair as well. Uh, Oweez is here manning the technical uh, side of things. Fano as well, producing the show and taking it uh, to a. Remember, you can still get in touch with us on 0861-917-000-083-303-7093. That's our WhatsApp line. And of course, on X, we're at PowerFM987. Tag me directly at Mnisinkosikona. Don't forget to use the hashtag PowerLunch. PowerFM on Facebook. Nkosikona Malinga Mnisi on Facebook as well. Speaking about Facebook. So, over the weekend... Um, I had a bit of a moment. I've got uh, OCD, and people that know me will know this all too well. I'm pedantic about things that are cluttered, and one thing that was cluttered was my friend request on Facebook because I hadn't attended to them in a while. So I had over 100 of them, and I thought, let me actually just accept everyone. <laughs> but you know those profiles you go through, Oweezy? And you can see this person, man, mm-mm. It's not the real person, mm-hmm. you know? But you're just like optimistic. You're like, ah, it's it's okay. And I was giving them a benefit of it of of benefit of a doubt. Yeah, that's it. Um, because I thought, ah, it could be different. You know, the one had Dr. Tlaleng on it, but I knew it wasn't her. But I was just like, you know, just being hopeful that they wouldn't bother me. But I can't tell you how many scam messages I've now had to contend with because my OCD led me to such a bad decision. I didn't carefully vet. You know, they always speak about the importance of vetting. And it's so funny because these scammers, um, the messages are always the same. And they throw in some love nyana, hello dear, you know, hello angel, those kind of things. And I thought to myself, this is so strange. But I'm busy now. Um, Every time I receive and I have to blog. But hey, lesson learned here. Let me vet because I think I was also a bit lazy to go through all of them and just try and see is this a real person or what is the motive of this particular person. All right, let's get into Tech Tuesday today. And we're speaking about unusual car facts. And we're going to delve into the quirky and little-known aspects of specific car models and automotive history. For instance, the iconic Volkswagen Beetle, originally named the Volkswagen Type 1, achieved status as one of the best-selling cars in history. Many would agree. I still see a, a couple um, on our roads here in the province. And additionally, the new car smell. Do you know that smell? That new car smell. It's so exciting. You know, it would also tempt you to even buy a car when you know that a car need. But in that moment, that new car smell. And I remember it. Um, uh, you know, all my life, my dad um, drove VWs. And every time. But I think there's one with VWs that is just specific. It's not the same and it, it hits differently. So we're looking uh, into some of these particular aspects and of course to help us then uh, make sense of it all and uh, give us more facts uh, about vehicles that are quite unusual. We joined on the line by content creator at Kumbi M on Cars, Joseph Mashele. Joseph, good afternoon. Thanks very much for your time. 
Uh, thank you so much for having me, Kuskona. Uh, good afternoon to you and the listeners. It's an absolute pleasure. Let's start with, uh, let's start rather with this uh, new car smell. And you know, we're told that it's a combination of uh, volatile organic compounds and chemicals released by materials in a new car. But have you found that this remains, even though you know the evolution of manufacturing cars is growing, um, and is this smell like the one that we used to know? I mean, I, I spoke about the VW one. Do you think it's being made the same? Can we actually have a replica of it? Well, I don't think it's made exactly the same. Hmm. Um, however, there, there has been many attempts, you know, to replicate the smell. Um, however, they don't get it uh, quite as close. And also, um, it doesn't last as long. Um, I must say also that um, this also has a um, it is part of a strategy, you know, from many uh, kind of manufacturers mm-hmm. as well um, as as uh, you know as ways to sell more cars as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, believe it or not, there are even uh, teams within uh, some of these brands uh, called the nose team or the smell uh, team, mm-hmm. you know, which uh, ensure that you know their cars smell a certain way which obviously uh, their customers will identify with with that. Um, other brands have tried to, you know, uh, to you know, utilize this uh, by, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, putting up uh, robots uh, mm. to do this kind of test and stuff, but it didn't work, you know, because uh, a smile, you know, I think uh, nothing beats a human, uh, you know, um, feel and, and, yeah. and smell. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's something that uh, is there is user strategy as well, and it's distinct to certain manufacturers as well. Uh, certain brands have a certain smell, uh, but uh, over time, you know, uh, uh, other people have tried to replicate this yeah. and 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 have it in the form of a, a small canister as well that you can spray uh, just before car delivery. Yeah, are we able to trace back, um, you know, the smell to the original quote unquote, if I should say so? Um, the original, you know, car brand. Is there one car brand that initially started with it, or we aren't able to tap into that space? Um, I'm I'm not quite sure uh, who really started this, uh, but this uh, came uh, from you know the supplier uh, side of things, where mm. you know uh, you have a certain materials like the leather. Uh, some seats, upholstery, as well as, you know, the wooden trims uh, and the plastics within the vehicle, you know, straight from the factory um, into the vehicle as well. They had that, you know, um, that raw uh, factory smell, mm. you know. And I think um, initially some of these uh, uh, car brands wanted to uh, remove that offensive odor, uh, as it was called back then, mm. you know. In that, I think... Uh, over time, then it evolved into being something that they really um, work on, you know, to uh, to create uh, a distinct smell uh, for their brands as well. So, yeah, I don't think uh, um, uh, this has been attributed to one particular mm. uh, 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 vehicle brand, but uh, it's something that has evolved over time and which uh, different manufacturers have decided to adopt as well and then uh, customize it uh, to their own um, unique requirements and their customers' needs as well. So we're told that the Volkswagen Beetle was, you know, one of the best-selling cars in history. And I was speaking about how I still spot some of them around Gauteng. Uh, why was it, uh, in your view, 
that this particular vehicle was one of the best selling um, in history? Yeah, no, the you know the Vitaly uh, Beetle story is quite interesting. Mm. In fact, um, Volkswagen um, as a brand as well, uh, how it started about uh, is very interesting. Uh, so Vitaly was previously known as the People's Car, and the Beetle as well was also known as the People's Car. So um, the reason for that was that uh, back then uh, in Germany, uh, very few people could afford you know, some of the luxury cars that were available or in the market at the time, you know, and uh, some of the um, uh, labor movements uh, decided to create a car uh, that will, you know, resonate with the people and that uh, would be affordable for the people, you know. Um, and then uh, that's how uh, Volkswagen started. Uh, in fact, the name uh, Volkswagen, uh, it literally means uh, people's folks as well as Wagen car, you know, people's car. And um, and and Beetle was one of those cars that came out. Um, and I think one of the things that stood out, and uh, even today, you know, was the was the exterior design, you know, in terms of um, you know the curved uh, shape, uh, which also uh, ironically uh, provided some aerodynamic uh, features as well, you know, uh, meaning uh, fully efficient as well. Uh, it was something that was uh, more. Um, appealing to uh, potential customers as well. And then in general, you know, it's compactness, uh, practicality, as well as not being expensive and easy to maintain as well. Uh, that was some of the, you know, um, the, you know, the drawing points, you know, for many customers. And over mm-hmm. the years, obviously, they've tried to, you know, keep it uh, as, as, as close to the original design and look as much as possible. You know, up until obviously um, the you know the evolving of other models, you know, which mm. would be better suited for for current uh, environment uh, conditions. Yeah, and do you think VW continues to use this you know people's car um, to their advantage, um, sort of to capitalize on it as they continue to evolve and grow? Oh, definitely. Mm. I think uh, they do. Although they have also. Uh, entered um, the space of the premium segment, mm. uh, you know, by offering uh, products which, you know, appeal, you know, to, you know, um, higher salary brackets and so forth. But they still do, you know, offer, um, you know, uh, a vehicle for literally everyone. You know, um, if you look at the uh, the car sales, even in locally, you know, the uh, mm. VW Polo, uh, Polo, uh, Vivo as well, uh, you know, are the highest selling vehicles in the country. Um, and those are the most affordable uh, vehicles from their brand. And also in terms of uh, comparisons with other models as well, or other brands as well, you know, they fare uh, quite uh, uh, well, you know. Uh, also in terms of uh, uh, product offerings, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of features as well, they've got the uh, bare minimum uh, features, nothing complicated, you know, nothing uh, too fancy. You know, obviously they have to keep up with some of the technology so they give you maybe uh, front electric windows and then at the back you still wind, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just to keep the cost down as well and to make the vehicle as uh, affordable as possible uh, for the people. So I think they still do uh, uh, maintain that tech as uh, the people's car. Yeah. And 
you know, speaking on another issue, and perhaps it's 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 interconnected. The issue of preserving. I mean, you speak of the uh, beetle, and we see some, you know, on an odd day. But how do we preserve? Because I think it's just, you know, uh, notwithstanding that it's associated to a specific brand, but in terms of car history across the globe, it's one vehicle that many people can resonate with, and they think back to a particular time in their own lives. Um, so, how do we preserve it, and how do we ensure that it keeps circulating in a sense so that in years to come we can still have a beetle to show to other generations that hey you know there was once this car that existed yeah um i think um you know firstly it, it gets very very expensive you know to you know keep some of these older models you mm. know because um parts get more scarce and um you know, and, and obviously there's other things, you know, now we're talking emissions as well. You know, um, some of these cars who won't be able to drive them on our roads because of, the, you know, emission requirements as well. I know in Europe, you know, they're very strict, you know. Um, so, but I think in South Africa and Africa in general, we're still uh, fortunate in that, you know, uh, some of the requirements are not strict yet and we lag behind in, in terms of some of these uh, requirements as well. So some of these cars as well um, are, are getting into that classic uh, stage as well. So um, I think, you know, um, uh, if, you know, customers do still have some of these models uh, in their position as well, um, it will be great thing, you know, just to keep them and then just make sure that they're still in good running condition, you know, mm-hmm. just to go around here and there or to attend, you know, uh, car shows uh, for display and not, you know, for revving on racing, uh, something like that. So yeah, and and also uh, I think what also is interesting as well is that you know some of these cars, iconic cars as well, um, their uh, resale value as well is uh, rising. So it's like an investment as well. Mm. So I think uh, for potential you know um, uh, car collectors as well, you know if they preserve some of these cars, you know it it, it could be a win-win. You know what you spend on the car just to maintain it and and preserve its condition, uh, you could also uh, benefit long-term, you know, in that its value can uh, can be something that's of value, you know, in the future for, for, for other generations as well. Yeah. Let's talk now about some of the other players in this particular uh, industry and look at the Jeep and the original one, we're told, was the result of a design competition held by the U.S. Army in 1941, seeking a lightweight uh, all-terrain vehicle. And the winning design became the iconic Jeep Willys MB, uh, which played a crucial role in World War II. So what else do we know about um, the history of Jeep and how they came to be what we know them now? Yeah, I think it's exactly that, you know, uh, many of us, you know, have uh, known Jeep, you know, from uh, military or war movies, mm. you know, and, um, you know, it's something that has become, you know, part of um, our history, you know, part of our heritage as well. Um, and we see the vehicles uh, through uh, commercials or those old movies as well, uh, you know, being able to tackle any terrain, you know, um, especially off-road, you know, without any, you know, discomfort to the driver or passengers as well. Mm. And, and and this has grown to be something like of a lifestyle um, uh, requirement as well. You know, you've got a vehicle that is so versatile that can go off-road and it looks cool. I mean, with this, uh, open top uh, convertible uh, features and um it's just a rugged vehicle and also it's um 
it's you know it's design you mm. know the front you know uh, the grill and the two round lights as well those have become iconic you know and something that has become uh, an appeal you know to many uh, people young and old as well and and also uh, having that short wheelbase in in terms of the Jeep Wrangler mm. um it's, it's a vehicle that can uh, get into many spaces you know uh, with ease as well so this is something that has really attracted uh, many many uh, customers and um when you talk uh, any 4x4 today uh, Jeep is bound to come up um, mm. in, in that uh, conversation as well I was going to speak about the Wrangler there and uh, the use of just new technologies uh, in that particular vehicle. Very, very, very impeccable uh, stuff to watch there. But then let's also speak about this one. I don't know if <laughs> I'm not going to be biased. I'm not going to be biased. But the uh, Toyota Corolla, uh, one of the <laughs> most popular and best-selling cars globally with over 44 million units sold since its introduction in 1966. And Toyota, many people say, a very reputable brand and reliable. What's their secret of success? How have they um, maintained relevancy and staying in the market? Yeah, I think uh, firstly, you know, Toyota and, um, you know, uh, and all the other Japanese manufacturers as well, Mm. um, they used to have this um, uh, strong uh, quality, you know, commitment um, in, in everything that they do. So in their cars, you know, um, they ensured that you know their cars were were built you know to quality and then also they would last long. Um, you know people uh, often joke around that you know you can take any vehicle and then just slap a Toyota badge and it will sell like hotcakes. Yeah. You know it's mm. because of that you know association with you know their reliability as well. You know and I think this is what has made the Corolla you know so popular and and also best selling as well. And then obviously over the years, uh, they've tried also to um, add on to that uh, with the exterior look as well. I mean, uh, Corollas um, do look uh, quite good as well. I, I know now uh, nowadays, you know, there are many other models, you know, which in terms of looks, you know, beat um, the Corolla by far. However, you know, uh, back in the days, I mean, uh, the Corolla was the standard for many people, you know, was mm. seen as the you know, a uh, stylish car and also uh, affordability as well, which is often something that uh, also um, is something that appeals to customers. You know, if it's affordable, then they go for it. So uh, it's been a mixture of, you know, reliability, affordability, as well as uh, fuel efficiency, which is very much important as well. You know, as uh, oil prices rise, you know, fuel prices as well uh, become a, a, a big issue, you know. So Toyota has been able to, uh, to you know, give uh, consistently give that you know output um, uh, over the years, and and that's why they've been uh, uh, selling uh, vehicles uh, for such a long time as well. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned some of the elements uh, that are possibly affecting this particular sector and how manufacturing plays about. I mean, you speak about oil and uh, fuel prices rising across the globe as well. But to what extent um, is the impact on the car uh, industry? Oh no, the impact is uh, is huge. You know, um, end of the day, um, uh, manufacturers are obviously in this business to sell the cars, mm. and if uh, consumers are pressed, you know, um, they won't be buying some of these models that are being produced. Um, so that's why also you see uh, from all these various brands as well. Uh, you know, they are also going with the times. You know, 
Um, so from uh, back in the old days where you used to have, you know, three, four, uh, even five liter engine uh, vehicles, you know, uh, mm. V6, V8 and so forth, you know, and now um, they scaled down, you know, on the engine and, and the engineers have worked hard as well, you know, to ensure that, you know, the performance is still there, even from a, you know, a smaller engine, you know. Uh, so nowadays we have these two liter engines, um, vehicles, which are still, you know, performing quite well, you know, uh, for, for the engine size. And then also with the new environmental um, uh, measures as well, um, there is, you know, a more... A more to other electric vehicles or hybrid electric cars as well. And then you see also all, almost all these brands as well are also uh, preparing themselves, you know, for, for that, you know, new uh, era or, or phase, you know, of, um, of, of vehicles that obviously will uh, speak to their customer uh, yeah. I want us uh, to perhaps converse just two more aspects, but I'm just asking that you hold on for us. We're going to quickly go to news headlines and we'll return to this conversation. Sure. That's uh, Joseph there. Uh, Mashele, he's a content creator at Kumbi M on cars. We're speaking about unusual car facts and I think also just exploring the car industry, um, you know, at present. So of course, you can also um, talk to us on 0861-987-000 at PowerFM987 on X. Tag me directly at Mnisi Corner. Remember to use the hashtag PowerLunch. I'll also get to some of your tweets that I've seen so far in a short while. It's uh, 14.30. Tech Tuesday. All right, 28 minutes uh, to 3 o'clock in traffic at time. My goodness, that news clip, zero. The MMC says no responsibility on the city's end. We're not going to take none. Anyway, let's go back to take uh, Tuesday. We're still in conversation with content creator at Kumbi M on Cars, Joseph uh, Mashele. Joseph, uh, thanks very much for staying on. Perhaps uh, just the last few aspects. The first one, um, I want us to talk about just the general feel and the state of, 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 of the industry. I mean, for example, even in issues uh, or with issues of competition, the car I drive, um, and I'm not going to reveal the brand, but I drive a certain car, but when I look at it and I look at other cars I come across on the road, I'm like, mm, man, who copied from who? You know? <laughs> who, yeah. took, who took whose idea? So what's, what's the general state of the industry in your assessment? Yeah. No, thanks for that. Um, I think um, in general, um, many of these car brands have realized that, you know, in order to remain um, sustainable and competitive, you know, they'll have to uh, collaborate here and there. Mm. And we're seeing this um, in many, you know, some of the models uh, that are coming out. Uh, for instance, um, the the new Ford Ranger as well as the Volkswagen Amarok mm. as well, mm. uh, built side by side here in Silverton and Pretoria. Mm. Um, there are also similarities there, and that also comes from the you know, the relationship that exists between uh, Volkswagen and, and Ford uh, going forward. And I think you'll be seeing more and more models uh, which are looking similar because of the uh, same platform that they share and some of the technologies that they share. And this is not something that is unique as well, you know, something that has happened um, uh, in the past and some has worked and some not so much as well. Uh, but it's just uh, these brands, you know, trying uh, different ways, you know, to remain competitive and, and sustainable as well. But also uh, what is interesting as well uh, within this uh, aspect as well is uh, these um, 
uh, brand ownership as well. I mean, uh, many of the listeners might know as well that, you know, some of these big brands are owned uh, by one group as well, you know, so uh, you will see, uh, you know, some some of the design aspects, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, being uh, applied across the brands. Yeah. I mean, the Volkswagen group, for instance, you know, uh, is a very big group and, and you know, has brands such as Audi, Bentley, Bugatti, Lamborghini and so forth. And you see some of the models as well, uh, some of the, you know, interior touches and so forth. You know, there is uh, many similarities as well. Mm-hmm. And this obviously is, uh, applies to many other brands as well. So no uh, signs of bad blood, you'd say, Joseph? Well, I think, you know, um, this thing of rivalries as well only exists, you know, in the customer's mind, you know. Mm. But, you know, um, in the executive boardrooms as well, you know, what makes commercial sense, you know, will, you know. uh, I mean, if you look at the Ford VW relationship as well, I mean, you're talking about two uh, economic powerhouses in America and Germany as well. Yeah. And I mean, um, over the years, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, banter between the two nations in terms of their engineering as well. I mean, for them now to have this, you know, uh, collaboration as well, uh, does say that, you know, this bad blood is just only something that exists between us you know, the customers or the fans, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay, and just in terms of the trends, uh, what have you picked up in terms of the trends uh, in 2024 where the car industry is concerned? Yeah, so I think um, in 2023, we saw a lot of uh, uh, manufacturers moving into the electric uh, vehicle space. Mm. And um, I think towards the end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024, we're seeing um, another alternative in this new energy vehicle space, um, and that is the hydrogen-powered uh, or hydrogen fuel cell vehicles as well. Um, so we've seen BMW has also got um, an X5 uh, prototype that is fueled by uh, hydrogen that is currently also uh, undergoing testing here in South Africa as well. Yeah. And we also have the Toyota Mirai as well, hydrogen fuel cell as well. And in fact, Toyota is actually delayed its electric vehicle strategy for quite some time uh, looking at the market you know uh, and and to see uh, you know where this move uh, going and i think you know uh, there may be you know um a big moves in terms of hydrogen uh, fueled um uh, vehicles and i know uh, Toyota as well is working on um the extra heavy commercial vehicles in terms of the trucks as well mm-hmm. which are hydrogen powered as well and and this is purely uh, from a point of you know uh, with electric vehicles, you know um, you know the infrastructure challenges you know as well. I mean here in South Africa we also have load shedding issues as well, and you know the battery um, life maintenance mm. and the range it has as well. Although it's improving, but you know it has been a, a challenge as well, mm. and obviously the cost of the battery as well, and then the charging times as well. You know some of the concerns. So hydrogen offers um, uh, an assistance to that. Although with hydrogen fuel vehicles as well, there is also that you know danger of or the risk of um, uh, storage as well as transportation. You yeah. know, so um, I think it's something to uh, to look out for. You know, uh, developments in that space. Uh, but definitely, electric vehicles 
are coming and are coming in big numbers. Yeah. And then there may be other, you know, uh, alternative uh, energy source vehicles as well. Yeah. Uh, Peter Daniels on uh, X asking, how is it that in movies they can manage to get a lot of uh, different vintage cars that seem to be in good condition? What would you say to this, Joseph? Is it an issue of just being able to fork out what is required to get one that's in a very good condition? Um, I'm not quite sure about the movies, but mm. I think, you know, from Hollywood movies' perspective, you know, they've got the budget, um, yeah. therefore, obviously, they be able to pay, you know, to source um, some of these, you know, uh, good condition uh, vintage vehicles as well. Um, and then also, uh, also related to budget as well, you know, um, so what you see on the screen is not always necessarily the way it is. Uh, in real life as well. So yeah. they're able to also apply other, you know, um, other AI, you know, or any Photoshop uh, mechanisms as well uh, for, for the picture to look, you know, uh, uh, good, uh, which sometimes is not actually the case, yeah. you know. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think it has to do with the budget as well. You know, if you've got the money, yeah. I'm sure you can source out anything uh, uh, regardless of its location as well. Yeah. And and yeah. just one last issue, and you touched on it a bit, just in terms of issues of partnership. And I'm almost tempted to ask you about the investment that this sector is having in a country like South Africa, where certain um, models and makes of vehicles are only being manufactured in South Africa. Yeah. So um, there is um, a lot of investments that um, goes into the auto industry, and especially in South Africa as well. Mm. Uh, in fact, um, many uh, vehicle models, um, right hand drive, uh, that are supplied to the world are coming from South Africa, and mm. this includes like the Mercedes Benz uh, C Class, uh, the Volkswagen uh, Polo as well, uh, and many others as well. And I think um, this also has to do with many factors, you know, uh, mm-hmm. most of them economic, uh, socioeconomic factors as well. Um, so, you know, in terms of labor, you know, uh, environment in the country as well, and also the, you know, the location of the country as well. I mean, yeah. in South Africa as well, uh, we have the luxury of also having the harbors and, and also we are also a gateway, you know, uh, to the rest of the continent as well. I mean, we are leading in terms of vehicle manufacturing as well, uh, especially in the sub-Saharan Africa as well. Yeah. So there's been a lot of investment and that's why you've seen um, the likes of Ford in their Silverton plant. They've mm. made a lot of investment uh, to produce, you know, uh, many of the current existing model lineup as well as the new energy vehicles that um, are to come as well. Volkswagen has done the same um, in Eastern Cape as well. Uh, Toyota has done the same in Devon. And yeah, I think uh, also, um, you know, with uh, government support as well in terms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, investment and, and tax incentives mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. uh, that does, you know, uh, assist um, uh, and, and attract uh, these auto investments as well. And uh, through the partnership of uh, BRICS, um, other nations as well starting to uh, see South Africa as a, you know, as a as a good location as well to uh, uh, produce some of their vehicles. So in the near future as well, we're seeing some of the Chinese brands as well uh, uh, producing or man- uh, assembling locally as well. Yeah. Joseph, I really want to thank you for your time this afternoon and really helping us navigate through this interesting conversation. Some fascinating, uh, fascinating stuff coming through. Thanks very much.
You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.